We're going through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 11 this week. Last week was chapter 10 because of math. And so we've been going straight through. What you find in the book of Acts is the start of the early church. The first church. Jesus ascended. He told his disciples to begin his church. And then he gave them the Holy Spirit to be able to really boost their ministry. And we're seeing the early church take off like a shot. Now, it's not just all... Uh, fluffy clouds and rainbows, though. They're meeting opposition. They met horrible persecution. That persecution has allowed the church in some places to go underground, and it's scattering throughout uh, the known world, throughout the Roman Empire, to be able to convert different people to Christianity. And so that's where we're jumping in the text. Now, it has been the Jewish nation that God chose to be his special people, to come out from all the peoples and be his special people possession. Okay, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not Jewish. Uh, and so here we are moving from what the God's people, the Jewish nation at the time, has all of a sudden got to accept a cataclysmic change that's going to rock them to their core. Uh, because where they thought it was all about them, they're going to find out that no, it's always been about the world to God. It's always been about the world, and they're going to have to grapple with that. Here in Acts chapter 11, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Like, oh, this isn't, this isn't just an us thing. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order. Now, what Peter's going to explain to them is like, hey, yeah, it's true. I just violated multiple pieces of Jewish law. Wasn't supposed to eat with them, wasn't supposed to hang out with them, certainly wasn't supposed to eat what we were eating. And so the Jews are coming up to Peter, who is also a Jew, and be like, bro, you are not supposed to do this. What's going on? And so he recounts to them what happened in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is called to visit a, a war captain, a centurion by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is a war captain. He's a dude that certainly understands what it is to live on mission. And God, seeing his faith and understanding he was not a Jew by any means, converts Cornelius and brings him into the family of God. And Peter is left reeling having to deal with this. I'm like, I thought we were your people, but now it's being opened up to all these different folks. And so the apostles are having to deal with this. The Jewish nation is seeing this wild spread of what it means to be a follower of God, and it's really difficult for them to follow and understand. Uh, it turns out that now non-Jews don't have to become Jews to follow God. And this is going to be a revelation to them. It's going to be extremely difficult for them to grapple with. Uh, let's go to verses 15 through 18 now. As I, this is Peter speaking, began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. He's explaining, hey, the Holy Spirit just fell on these Gentiles. Gentiles is everyone that's not a Jew. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And so that, that's everyone. He's saying, okay, so the Holy Spirit fell on us, changed our hearts, and uh, created in us a, a different type of follower. He supernaturally blessed us in a super crazy, awesome way. And so just in the same way that God did that for us, I watched it happen to these guys, these soldiers that were gathered together. And I remembered the word of the Lord, picking back up in Acts 11, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Great question. Uh, yeah, and you can't stand in God's way. One, one more verse. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to eternal life. Uh, so this is really a radical move for them. However, it shouldn't have caught them so flat-footed. All the way back in Genesis, God lays out his plan that, no, 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 it was never supposed to end with the Jews. Instead, I was going to make them just a vehicle that brought salvation to the entire world. So it shouldn't have shocked them. It shouldn't have surprised them. Here, look, here's some Easter eggs. We're going to go to Galatians, but Galatians is looking and explaining the biblical narrative all the way from like Genesis caught up into the time of Jesus. So check out Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. Now then, or I'm sorry, know then that it was those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This would be a shocking thing. This would be uh, something that the Jewish nation would absolutely not like to hear. No, it's like, we are sons of Abraham. It's, it's a blood thing of like, no, no, no. It's a faith thing. It's children of promise. Verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. This is in Genesis. It's saying that the gospel was preached to Abraham in Genesis. The gospel was preached to Abraham in Genesis, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. How many nations? All. Not one. Not the Jewish nation. No, it's through Abraham. The plan of God for all eternity is to bless all nations, starting with one and bringing it all. Just like through one man, Jesus Christ, all nations would be blessed. And that's the offspring, as we'll see. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, we could stop right there, but I want to give you a bonus text that goes a little bit further down in Galatians 3. Check it out. Verse 16, it says, Now, the promise, this is just extra credit. We already did our work. So this is just because we're awesome. Sound good? How many of you just think you're awesome? Give yourself a homeschool high five. Just do it right there. But you're awesome. Check it. You guys. You guys. That's great. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, not a word in English, but this makes sense in the language that this was written in, so go with it. Referring to many, but offspring referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So it turns out that the gospel preached to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed through your offspring. It was talking about through you, Jesus will come and Jesus will open up to rescue all nations, all people, just like for God so loved the world. Not that for God so loved Israel. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here, check this out in Isaiah 49. This is beautiful. This will just make you shout and make you weep. Isaiah 49, verse 6. It says, God says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It was always, to God, it was always about just using the Jewish nation as a vessel where Christ would come through to reach the entire 
world. It's the entire world. And we are children of faith through the promises of Abraham. Now, this sermon is really about living on mission for Jesus, but I couldn't just walk through this text where God is uh, going from Judaism to the entire world and not give you a little backstory. And so that right there, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham in Genesis. That's too awesome. So I had to bunny trail over to bring you guys up to speed so you could know that we've been sitting on gospel since the very beginning. God's brilliant, amazing plan was always to come for you. And it was always to come for me. It was always the plan. Thank you, Jesus is right. All right, let's push on. Let's, let's get back on track. So what we're about to do is meet a man named Barnabas. Barnabas was a man who understood mission. He is a man on mission. We already met him a little earlier in Acts. He uh, was a man of means. He had a field. He sold it and he brought the money to the apostles' feet. And like, hey, let's build a church. And he wants to be able to give generously. He's also a servant and he loves the Lord and he lives uh, a good lifestyle. And his name... Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. So he's a guy that all of you want to come be in your city grip. You all want to hang out with Barnabas. Does anybody know somebody who's an encourager? Just every time you get on, you feel like a million bucks. You know, they're just encouraging you. That's Barnabas. So Barnabas isn't like Paul. Paul's Paul's probably going to break you down. He may say some stuff you like. He may say some stuff that you really don't like. Barnabas is a guy who sees the best in you and breathes life into you, pumps you up, and leaves you encouraged. And so that was his superpower. That was uh, one thing that Barnabas did extremely well. So you're about to meet Barnabas in uh, verse 23. Here we go. And they, this is the apostles, sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he, came, uh, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted, encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast, steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul or Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people in an Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians. There's your heritage, guys. Acts chapter 11, you're a Christian today because some critics of Christianity have like, oh, Christian, it means little Christ. They started saying this about the followers of Christ and the followers of Christ. I'm like, hey, that sounds pretty good. And we're like, Christian it is. And so today you're Christians because in Antioch, that's like on the border of modern Syria and Turkey. I'm, I've got one of those brains where I kind of want to map it all out. What, like where, where did these things happen? And so it's north of Israel in a place called Antioch. Back then, Antioch was a huge deal. It was the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. And it's not like Jerusalem, which most of our text is started in Jerusalem, a Jewish city. This is a Gentile city. So there's some Jews living there, but this is really... Uh, a Gentile place, and so it will become the central hub, the, the, the command post for all the missions to the Gentile world. So whereas Jerusalem right here would become more of the hub of operations for the Jewish world, Antioch becomes incredibly important. And for a year, Barnabas, who finds the Apostle Paul, brings him to Antioch, and they're doing ministry there for a year, doing what we're doing here. We're building a church. We're taking individuals who the Lord has converted and changed hearts, and we're bringing everyone on mission together to see what can be done, 
right? And so that's the church growing here in Antioch. Now, what's real awesome about Barnabas, you know, Barnabas, he's, um, he was there really at the beginning as the uh, church started to grow. But as he sees, what, all of them are surprised about what's happening uh, in this far, uh, further away city of Antioch. He doesn't come in to be like, all right, what, what, are, you, what are you guys screwing up here? Bow, bow under my apostleship here. Let, let, me, let me exercise a little command and some control. Let, let me show you guys how you guys are screwing up. And I'll, uh, I'll take it from here. No, he didn't come in with any jealous notions. He didn't come in to control or command. He just came in as basically to investigate. The apostles were like, all right, we got a church coming up here. So this is, are they doing good stuff? Is this like heresy stuff? Do we need to rebuke this? Do we need to distance ourselves? Or do we need to help them? And what they found is the Lord was doing something and building something in Antioch that they didn't know was even going to happen. It was a shock to them. And when Barnabas came to be able to investigate this, he found out like, these guys are awesome. Way to go. Bravo. And he encourages them. He gives them an attaboy. He's like, hey guys, keep doing what you're doing and I'm here to help. And so he encourages and he teaches and he's also found uh, Saul. Saul, is, if you'll remember in the weeks past, was an enemy of Christ. He was going around trying to find the Christians and have them brought to trial and murdered by the uh, religious government. Saul converts to Christianity and the Christian world's kind of still like, that looks like a trap. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be on our team now. Yeah, right. But it's really Barnabas that goes, finds Saul, brings him into the fold, helps train him, place him in Antioch, and for a year, they're, they're kind of like co-pastoring. They're, they're building up, and he's helping uh, Saul, who, would, who is also known as Paul, and they become this wonderful ministry duo, and then they'll go on missions around the Mediterranean together, and so really, really cool stuff. Now, I, I want to get to really our sermon where it's talking about uh, man on mission, because that's what I want us to do as well, is to glean some knowledge from the text here to figure out how you and I can really go on mission for Jesus. But I got to do a little bit of background work so we understand some context of what in the world we're dealing with. I noticed Barnabas wasn't jealous of what was going on somewhere else. He wasn't uh, controlling. He wasn't making it all about himself. Uh, he sought Paul and brought him into the fold. He was an encourager. He was teaching. He saw people coming to salvation, and so he's evangelizing. And verse 24 says, a great many were added to their number. And also, so I see Barnabas not being about self and what he's been doing. I see him really become all about what God's doing. He sees God working in Antioch, and he jumps in, and he's like, all right, how can I help? And I love that. I think that's awesome. Also, I see, to the credit, the apostles had to deal with some really difficult change. You know, change is hard. Dealing with change is just difficult. I know of this old dying church uh, my, my dad uh, attended uh, long before. The church died and it needed to die uh, because the elders would get together and they would fight and, and squabble about the smallest little thing. The church ended up folding over one issue that could not be resolved, and it was on the subject of whether they should put speed bumps in on the drive up to the church. I mean, this was a sharp division. You guys were speed bump people, and you guys were not speed bump people. And I'm like, if that's your big issue and you can't resolve this, you've probably been a dead church for a very long time. And so, so it was with that. And these, these folks were really about control 
There wasn't a real church on mission for Jesus. What were they doing? They were content. They were jealous. They were contentious. They weren't on mission for anyone except themselves. And so they died. But to the apostles' credit, they accepted very difficult change. This would be unlike Jonah or the Pharisees uh, who saw what God was doing and ended up taking offense with it and ended up not following at all. They accepted really difficult uh, change, some stuff that absolutely surprised them. Saul's conversion shocked the apostles, yet they rolled with it. Peter's vision, which we saw last week, shocked the disciples, yet they rolled with it. A new church in Antioch, that shocked them, and still they rolled with it. And then there's Gentile members worshiping in a way that they don't do, which is also very, very difficult for them. And so to their credit, they're accepting hard changes. They praised what God was doing. They sent the best man for the job, Barnabas, to be able to help with them. And through the help of the church of Jerusalem and those apostles, Antioch would grow to be the home base of operations and missions for the entire Gentile world. And I'm like, holy cow, I see Barnabas on mission. I see the apostles on mission. Here's a big idea. Only the selfless can be on mission with Jesus. Only selfless people can be on mission with Jesus. This stands in such utter stark contrast to everything that we see indicated in our culture today. It's the exact opposite. We don't want to be on mission with Jesus. We're really on mission for ourselves. It shouldn't be that way. Jesus will tell us this directly. Um, we have multiple verses that we can uh, tackle right here that just underscores this. If you want to be on mission with Jesus, you have to die to yourself. Let's check out Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after him, after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Hey, if you want to follow after Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross. That means suffering, selflessness. And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I find this. Uh, it feels right to, to really just take care of self, to focus on self. That's what we want to do because we're selfish and because we're prideful. It is so easy to focus on self, but the most miserable people in the world focus on themselves all the time. That's what they do. And I think there's a lot of ways that you can go in this last verse of the text in verse uh, 25. But whoever lives a life for other people finds great joy. And those who find a life that's really just focused on me, number one, ends up being a, a miserable existence without legacy that's not on mission. You're just looking out for you. Jesus only brings one type of person on mission. There's only one person, one type of person that's on mission for Jesus, and that's selfless people. Let's go to Matthew 20, verse 27 and 28. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom uh, for many. Um, there's also another verse in Matthew 6. I don't have it here, but uh, Jesus admonishes the disciples. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you as well. That means it's worth squabbling for all of the bills and the position and, uh, you know, likes on social media or whatever you're after. Whatever you think you need, whatever you think you got to have, whatever that next carrot in front of your nose is that you're contending and striving for in life, Jesus is saying something pretty revolutionary. Like, no, 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 you're getting it wrong here. Seek first my kingdom. 
Not yours, but seek first my kingdom. And you'll find that all this stuff you're after gets thrown in as well. In fact, what will end up happening is the things that you desperately want so much, more than you want the kingdom of God here on earth, the things that you really want, those things that are rattling through your head right now that you think you need and you've got to have. And of course we do have needs, and the Lord knows that. But he's saying, hey, be first on mission for me, and I'm going to take good care of you. That's the promise. Be all on mission for Jesus and everything else is provided by God. Incredible, incredible notion. Uh, the Pharisees were not like this. The Pharisees, these, this is the religious government at Jesus' time who would ultimately have him assassinated. The Pharisees were about their mission and their power and their control. And unlike the apostles right here that saw God doing something, said, hey, roger that, and jumped in to be on mission and participate in what he was doing. The Pharisees, it was a closed game. We're in charge, then you can't participate. They were on their mission. They jockeyed for control. And when Jesus came up and upset their little religious world, they killed him for it. The Pharisees were not on mission for Jesus. They were on mission uh, for themselves. You think about humanism today, there's something called the red pill movement. Does anybody know what this is? You, you got it? Red pill movement? The red pill movement is kind of like a hustle culture, alpha male, go get yours. It's hustle, get Bugattis. That's like a super fast race car. Get millions of dollars, have a harem of women chasing you, get in shape, get jacked. And I mean, some of the stuff, will be, yeah, go, hey, earn, work hard, gents, get in shape. It's good conventional wisdom, but it's not wisdom that the red pill movement is hidden. It, it, it's the idolatry of self. It's the ultimate pursuit of pleasure. It's the red pill movement is basically what it's called. It's excess in your happiness, your pleasure, your bank account, and what's in your garage is the pinnacle of human achievement. If you get that, you're a successful man. It, it's whatever the cost, you build you into being the top G. It's not my language. That's the red pill movement. You got to be top G. Uh, there, it, the girl equivalent to this, as best I could say, I, and I'm just going to call it the eat, pray, love uh, movement. <laughs> the eat, pray, love. They're not trying to be top G, uh, but they are doing the same thing in the humanistic thing uh, where we're making it all about ourselves. And though the gal isn't trying to be top G, uh, eat, pray, love is the ultimate feminine equivalent to abject narcissism. She's going to make it all about herself. She's going to just, you know, I'm just going to work on myself now. Let me translate. You know what? I'm going to step back from all responsibilities and selfless service and just think about me all the time. <laughs> and this is pure vanity. This uh, cares a great deal about what clutch that you've got in your hand, what uh, designer clothes you're wearing, manicures, pedicures, expensive haircuts. It cares very much about how you look. Uh, how you worship. You're going to worship the universe and you're going to be very spiritual and you really find out that along the way you're actually just worshiping yourself. Uh, you're going to abandon uh, working hard to love and respect and follow your husband. Instead, cut ties because he doesn't make you happy anymore. So now you can go off and find whoever will appreciate you and love you. And, and, and it's really just all about you. 
and in the short run to get everything that you want so that you can build your own romantic novel around yourself that you are the star of, you're ready to bury every good uh, relationship and worthy goal and even your family along the way in the idolatrous pursuit of your own temporary happiness. It's the Eat, Pray, Love movement, and it is toxic, and it is a trap, and the feminist movement loves it. You know what? You, what, you deserve it. You just do you, girl. You are perfect the way you are. You, perfect, really? You think you're perfect the way you are? This is a special kind of stupid. Of course you're not. None of us are. Jesus is perfect. None of us are. We could be better versions of ourselves. Remember, it is the heart that's deceitful beyond all measure, we learn in Jeremiah, and all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. It is the most demonic, humanistic uh, adage ever to say, no, you're perfect the way you are. No, you're not. You're not like Jesus. You need to grow. You need to deny yourself, not run into idolatry of self. And this is what uh, culture pushes. Social media is about me, me, me. It's about vanity, isn't it? Everything I see is vanity. I despise social media. And some of you are looking at me like, really, John? You make your living off social media. I do. I make my living off it. But it is true. I hate it. I do not have Facebook or Instagram on my phone. I got Twitter for now until it just ticks me off. And then I'm going to be like, delete! And I'll just, oh, be free and clear of social media. I do despise it. It can be used and leveraged for good, but my personal visceral response to it is I do not like it. I think it's just all vanity, and I think um, a, a lot of bad can come from the personal consumption of it, though it can also, like anything, be, get, be used for good. Is money good or bad, guys? Yeah, it's, it's amoral, isn't it? Money is just a tool, and you can do wonderful things. You can feed orphans with it, uh, or you can commit heinous idolatry with it, right? It can be really good or bad. It's really how you uh, approach that. And so it is with uh, anything like social media. But think about how you feel after scrolling social media for a while. You do. It just leaves you really empty and hollow. You just see in everyone's perfect, beautiful life. And you start to feel like just such a failure of like, oh my, I don't look like that. And I don't drive that. And I don't have that. And you scroll social media for 20 minutes in this just comparison trap. And all this jealousy and envy uh, as you're seeing everyone lie about how perfect their life is, uh, right? You know, they're just showing you their, their, their like greatest hits. You have no idea what's happening in between posts and what kind of pain and misery is happening on the way. Because maybe as people post on social media their greatest hits, they're selling the world, this is who I am, this is what I have, and everything's awesome. And maybe if you believed it, they could start believing it too. Uh, and so we can, we can really, I think social media really helps us worship ourselves as we get stuck in the comparison trap, the envy trap, the jealousy trap. Uh, you begin to look at your own dull, gray, drab life with discontent, wishing you had something else were with other people. And so it can be an absolute trap. Here's another, uh, another uh, way that we can make life all about us instead of being on uh, mission for Jesus. It's consumer Christianity. 
So even when you're coming to church and you're trying to do the right thing, you're checking those spiritual blocks, you can really see whether it's all about you. It's very possible to go to church pretending, saying to ourselves that we're on mission for Jesus when really we're on mission for ourselves. It's very easy to go to church even and do such that. You can notice it in your own attitude. You show up to church and you know you're one of the saved. Okay, and of like, all right, what's this church have to offer me? Maybe we'd say that out loud, but really it's kind of like, well, the music wasn't exactly what I liked. And Pastor John said something I did not like. By the way, spoiler alert, I'm going to do that a lot. But you, you know, the consumer-based Christian shows up expecting all of it to be about them. They've got a hundred little complaints versus the person on mission rolls up their sleeves and I'm like, hey, I'm here. Looks like some people are worshiping. You got some holes. How can I help? I want to fill it. I love our teams here at Grace City. We're a brand new church. I mean, still just growing up and we got people serving and people coming on mission and growing and leaps and bounds. And so I am so pumped to be a part of this church because I believe we've got a lot of you on mission here. You're showing up, not seeking of like, what can I get from you? But you're like, I'm here to help. What can we do? And I sense your excitement. What I want is more people on mission and those on mission to burst forward in even greater flame and passion for Jesus and say, let's build something together. I am so sick and tired of people who whine about the church. Well, the church is failing here. The church is failing there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. The church has failed you in many ways in the past. But understand this. That's Jesus' bride for all eternity. And it's the only institution that actually survives this world. It is the church and the church alone not Fortune 500 companies or skyscrapers or anything else that survives this world. It's only the church forever in heaven with Jesus. And so if you find that the church is not up to snuff, make her better. The, the, the church isn't this separate thing from you. We are the church. So if we're broken, help us fix it. Now, rightfully, there are toxic churches. They aren't really churches at all. Sure, they got a steeple and they hung a sign out there and they, they, they play a good game of it. But if you're not preaching sin and repentance in Jesus Christ, you're not a church. If you're saying, hey, live your best life now and you don't talk about things like sin or repenting of a sinful life and trusting Jesus as your Savior, you're not a real church. You just got a crowd. That's it. So if you're not preaching gospel, it's not a church. Rebuke it all you want. I'll help. You want to complain about them? I'll complain about them too. That's not a church. That's not a pastor. Pastors are supposed to uh, preach the excellencies of Christ. They preach Christ crucified and refuse to remove the offense of the gospel. You are dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. And God alone makes you alive through the sacrifice in the blood of Christ. And it is through Jesus alone that you can receive salvation and forgiveness of your sins. Period. You're like, I don't like that. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. My job is to deliver the mail. Here's the mail. And any pastor, any woke, weak uh, pastor who removes that offense of the gospel in order to churn numbers and get more likes and to get better public opinion has left their post long ago. It's a false pastor. It's a false church. Critique it all you want. 
but the true church. Those who are coming anywhere close to that in whatever form we're, 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 or wherever we're at along that way. Find a place that's close enough and join her for better or worse. If she's not where you want her to be, make her better. We're on mission here and we're just starting. More can be said about our needs than what we've actually got. We are making, we're launching city groups like, I don't know, in the next couple weeks. We don't even have small groups yet. And it's something we are chomping at the bit to do, aren't we, Chris and Renee? Absolutely. We're thrilled and we're just getting off the ground. And I am so thrilled to be on mission for Jesus with you good people. That's awesome. Can you feel the movement? Can you feel the excitement? I'm seeing relationships form and we're excited to belong to something greater than ourselves. And we see Jesus continually showing up, ushering fresh excitement into our hearts so we can build something together. It's really, really humbling. Um, I am going to, I'm doing all right on time. I still got a few minutes. Um, we are on mission together. One of the prerequisites, though, guys, is we have to get our heads off the things of this earth and off all the things we think we want. We can get so, you know, it's so easy to get just trapped in the rat race of life, to the tyranny of the urgent. You got your list of things you got to do, and you got your job, and maybe that's a bummer, and you're not really liking that. What does it really look like to be on mission? Now, it's not all of a sudden you quit your job, you pull up stakes, you change all your relationships, and you start doing something completely different. It's, no, as you are going, make disciples. Matthew 28, as you're going, make disciples. So you think of at your own job, wherever you are, that's your mission field. That's what it would look like if we were like Barnabas here, seeing what the Lord's doing and going on mission for him. That's your mission mission field, right? Those are the people that you're going to be kind to and loving to. You're going to show them Jesus in front of them. They're going to see your lifestyle, marvel at it, and you're going to invite them to church. You're going to look for opportunities when their lives are falling apart, and you're going to be able to speak gospel truth into it. That's what it looks like when people are on mission. You're not making about yourself. Instead, we're uh, filled with all kinds of love for those around us, whether it's family members or coworkers or it's neighbors, anybody that comes into your sphere, your orbit, you as a missionary to wherever you're called, wherever you go, whoever you see, that's what it looks like. On mission. Can you see it? Some of us are just logging hours at work, not realizing, no, no, no. You're a missionary to your job. That's why you're there. It's not to build uh, trinkets or whatever you do. You're like, I'm not really satisfied with my job. I'm like, I don't care. You don't need to be. You can be satisfied in the mission of Jesus Christ to wherever you're going. You get it? That's the mission. This is beautiful in that it doesn't really, you don't need to find this great identity in what you do. Young men particularly of like, uh, can fall into this trap as we believe that what we do for a living from nine to five I, is really who we are. You know, it's like identity. And I'm like, no, 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 who you are is a Christian. So everything in your life can change and you'd still be a Christian. Your identity is fixed as a little Christ. And it should be all-consuming. 
That means we, as little Christ, are on mission wherever we happen to go. Whatever your job is, that's your mission field. I want you to think about the people that you interact with, the places that you go. I want you to see their faces in your head right now. It's not just your coworker, that's your mission field. How can you love them like Jesus this next week? What would that look like? How could you be an encourager like Barnabas? You encourage people, and man, it's hard, it's hard not to love you, and you need them to love you, because one day you're going to have to tell them something that's offensive about Jesus. They're going to hate you for it, and it'd be nice to have a little emotional, relational capital in the tank. For love covers over a multitude of sins. That means you can tell them they're evil, and uh, they need to repent and put faith in Jesus, uh, but I love you and they'll believe that you love them. <laughs> that can help them. It's like greasing the wheels a little bit. That's fantastic. Very good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, wrap it up. Uh, but before I do so, I want to tell a story of a guy named Jeff who uh, was a friend of mine. Uh, Jeff didn't like his job. Uh, he was depressed. He felt between a rock and a hard place. Uh, and really just didn't like his life, and he became so uh, beleaguered and depressed despite all the self-help he was trying to do. He was focusing on himself. He's trying to get out of that pit. He's trying to do better, but he became such a point where he had such depression and such despair that he, he reached a point of critical mass. He was about to quit his job and just disappear and move. It wasn't married or anything at the time, uh, but still, his whole friends network, and we were in ministry and doing stuff, and he was a buddy of mine. And so, uh, Jeff, going through this, what I identified is, is he wallowed in his own depression month after month. And the more he tried to fix himself, the worse it seemed to get. And so I had this idea, and it was just worth a shot. And so what I did is I said, hey, Jeff, let's go do something good together. He's like, what do you think? And there, at this time, this humanitarian disaster that had happened from a hurricane. And I'm like, let's go help. And so I threw him in my vehicle, and we just drove multiple states away, and we started helping with hurricane relief. Day after day, we had these like stinky refrigerators filled with rancid meat and maggots, and we had to put like Noxema under our noses because if you smelled it, you were just going to vomit, and we were ripping out all this just soggy drywall, just dirty from head to toe, and uh, Jeff was smiling ear to ear through it. Well, when he took off his mask, I, I found him like it's... <laughs> Some of you had COVID flashbacks there. I'm like, no, 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 you're going to want a mask for this. This was gross. This was awful. You pick up something and just a uh, uh, muddy slop flies up in your face. I'm like, oh, nope, I need a mask. I'll double mask for that. I won't do it for Delta, but I will, I will do it for the hurricane relief here. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, he really found that it was only through service when he was able to forget about his own depression his own difficulties, however he felt stuck in life. It wasn't until he started serving that he found some joy again. Is the moment he lost his own life, he 
he found a better one. Today, Jeff is in full-time ministry and has been for well over a decade. He fell in love with Jesus' mission. He fell in love with serving the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? You seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you as well. Whoever wants to be great among you, become a servant of all. You love people. You'd be on mission for Jesus. I see Barnabas was a man on mission. I see those who were leading the church throughout Acts, they were on mission. So hard changes came and they rolled with it. They were on this wonderful, glorious adventure that we call following Christ. People think they want to be on an adventure until things get hard. What are the characteristics of an adventure? You got the beauty, and you got the awe, and you got the victory, but that's kind of like the end of the adventure, you know? Throughout the adventure, it's wrought with all kinds of terrifying things, really difficult changes, antagonists. You see pain, and you see suffering along the way. You don't know how it's all going to shake out, but amidst, amidst this journey where anything could happen, even when you have suffering there's meaning to the suffering. You're not adrift. So many people suffer, but there's not a reason. There's not an ultimate goal in the suffering. There's not a meaning to it. Those on mission for Christ have every element of the greatest, wildest adventure following the Holy Spirit. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, buckle up. Try to follow the Holy Spirit. And what you'll find is the most earth-shattering, hilarious changes that you could ever imagine. You don't know what country you'll be living in next year. You don't know what job you may have. You don't know what circle. I'm looking at the Speetons here. Would you believe a year ago you'd be living in Georgia? No chance. This wonderful couple is on mission for Jesus. This is how I know. They were living in Washington State. This was, I mean, 10 months ago. You're just doing life. They had no idea where the Lord was going to bring them. They didn't have any reason to suspect that you'd be leaving Washington. And then one day, our planting, our, our pastor dad, uh, Josh McPherson, that's our planting church, is Grace City, Wenatchee, came in front of Chris and Renee and says, hey guys, how would you like to move to Georgia to participate in a church plant? Now, this was all the information they had at the time. They found out that I would be uh, lead pastor, and they had never met me. They had never met me. And so you prayed about it for a day. No, you prayed about it for an hour. You prayed about it for an hour. And then they said yes. <laughs> and they packed up everything and moved to Georgia to help us do something awesome. They had never met us. They just recognized, no, 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 I think the Lord's in this. And they followed the Lord on mission, all in. And it is a beautiful, amazing thing. All kinds of difficulties. It can be, a, it can be scary, but there's nothing more fun than following God on mission, knowing he's going to take care of you. And regardless of all the ups and all the downs, we emerge on the other side of this life in greener pastures victorious because Jesus 
Our great war captain has gone before us, conquered death, conquered the grave, achieved a salvation, gives it freely to all nations, which was always the plan, and then invites us to build his church on mission forever in his name. You're invited. You're invited to be on mission for Jesus. What would that look like if you went all in on mission for Jesus? One thing for sure, some of you who are already moving toward that, you've seen something happen in your life that you haven't seen in years. You're beginning to grow spiritually. You don't grow spiritually apart from being on mission for Jesus. You can log time in churches. You can log time doing all kinds of things, but you were never meant to be, you were never meant to grow as a Christian in isolation from the church. You were never meant to. You were never meant to go at it alone. Some of you may feel like it's you and your bride against the world. You were never supposed to go at it alone. You're supposed to be with us on mission. And as we're building these organic relationships and these city groups, as we call them, there are small groups that meet throughout the week uh, when we're praying for each other and we're celebrating and worship and we're rallying together in times like this where we can see the word of God and let it transform our lives. We are every single moment taking one step further on mission with Jesus Christ. I urge you this week, we're, let's, let's see what our next little step is for you to be on mission for Jesus. Identify exactly what that would look like. Have a, meet, have a family meeting and say, all right, where are we at right now? How much time are we spending worrying about the stuff that doesn't ultimately matter? And how can we make our lives more, a little more on mission for Jesus? Just a little bit more. Have that family meeting. And let you and I, by following this wild Holy Spirit on the greatest adventure ever conceived of by God, let's go on mission together. Amen? Grace City Church Rome, I love you. I'll see you next week. Make sure you bring some friends. I'll preach gospel because that's all I do. And I'll see you next week.